Welcome to It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland. Featuring out and about, thought-provoking conversations on the street. We consider topics with local relevance and global significance. And now, here's your host for It's a Question of Balance, Ruth Coplin. Welcome to the show where we balance the intellectual with the creative and explore whether we have more in common than divides us through thought-provoking conversations. For the Arts Hour, I feature in-depth interviews with local, national and international guests from all areas of the arts. And for this, the Topic Hour, I feature interviews on a wide variety of different subjects that affect everybody, both locally and globally. The show combines a debate topic with an arts interview because I feel discussion and creativity are two of the most vital ways we engage with the world. Now, usually for the topic hour, I go out and about and talk to people on the street. However, for this week's topic theme, I'm breaking with that format slightly and instead featuring a special guest. This week, we're considering what is at the root of well-being? And my guest is the renowned and beloved doctor, social activist and clown, Patch Adams, who has devoted his life to furthering peace, well-being and connection. Patch Adams believes that laughter, joy and creativity are an integral part of the healing process. And with the help of friends, he founded the Gesundheit Institute in 1971 in order to address all the problems of healthcare in one model. The Gesundheit Institute, a non-profit healthcare organisation, is a project in holistic medical care based on the belief that one cannot separate the health of the individual from the health of the family, the community, the society and the world. In addition, for decades through his Clown Vets project, Patch and his team of extraordinary volunteers have travelled the world as humanitarian clowns, helping heal veteran participants suffering from PTSD who are constantly working to relieve invisible wounds and also bringing joy to marginalised people around the world. I spoke to Patch at Cinequest Film Festival, where the documentary Clown Vex, directed by Estevan Rojas, had its world premiere also being honoured with the award for Most Life-Affirming Film. In my conversation with Patch, we talk about connection, love, war, education, healthcare, active thinking, mental health, what it means to really care about things, and thus explore through his life, work, beliefs and the film Clown Vets. What is at the root of well-being? So I'm very happy to be here with Patch Adams at Cinequest. Thank you very much for agreeing to being interviewed for It's a Question of Balance. It's my pleasure. So your life and career have been devoted to health care and activism around caregiving. I'm wondering if you can remember the first time that you realised that how we treat people emotionally is so vital to well-being and successful health care. Well, I'd like to correct I'm an activist in all areas. Mm, okay. Okay, peace and justice and care for all people in nature. Mm. And health care is one of those aspects. And you asked me, when did I think about... I grew up a weird, nerd, dweeb, dork, sissy boy. Okay, on military bases, mostly in Japan and Germany, mm. until my father died from war when I was 16... 
1994, when I was dying from war, oh. when I, I'm an army brat. Right. And so, really, we moved back to, for me the first time when I was 16 in 1961. Before that, I never did sports. I, I actually was beaten up a lot because I was the boy described. And so I realized I was not a normal kid, male kid, mm -hmm. and I submerged myself in nature and the arts. Mm. And I entered science projects and won science fairs. And then when my father died, we moved back to the U.S., to the southern states in 1961, where my mother was from. Mm. And my life changed forever in a public park at a public drinking fountain that said whites only. Hmm. I wept and wept and wept. I realized my country was fake and religion was fake and that a person could walk by this sign and not tear it down. And my mother was not an activist. Everything people like about me came from my mom. Hmm. I never saw her angry or unkind or she was a school teacher, and she was not an activist. Mm. And so there I was. I had two more years of high school and in a city with 22% black population, all-white public school. Mm. And because there was activism in those years, every time the N-word was said in school, a word I can't say, that... I would scream really loud and long in class until I saw everybody angry or hate me. And then I'd say, you can say that word, but I have to do this to live with myself. Hmm. And then the bullies, many of them would beat me up after school. And that's when I basically flipped out. I had three mental hospitals in one year, 62, 63. I hated what the pills did to my imagination which is why as a doctor I never disliked a patient enough to give a psychiatric diagnosis or psychiatric medicine. Mm. And I thought the psychiatrist was an idiot. And between the second and third hospital, I was present in Washington for Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech hundreds of thousands of nonviolent revolutionaries, and I realized, stupid, you don't kill yourself, you make revolution. And that's when I realized mm. my mother gave me self-esteem. Mm. My own medical life in 51 years of interviewing three to four hours for adults, I found 3% of people in the U.S. had self-esteem. I had it, mother gave it to me, so I didn't have to develop into a person who changed. Mm -hmm. I simply had to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So the big decision I made was how can I be a, an instrument for peace and justice and care in every second of my life? And that's when I decided to never have another bad day, that I wouldn't waste a day, that I would be six qualities, happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative and thoughtful all the time. I believe I've gone 55 years without a bad day living those qualities. Mm. And it was in, in the hospital and seeing how hospitals were all wrong and just 
it was early 60s, but still there was the flavor, at least in the civil rights movement, of do something, make change. And <clears throat> I, so I was all fine, and then I, gra I, I, I left the hospital on fire. So I spent two hours a day for two years calling up wrong numbers to practice talking with people. <laughs> there were telephone books. And yeah. I would, uh, I infiltrated the KKK because I was white with short hair. <laughs> I did, I would go into D.C. three or four hours a week to ride up and down elevators because once that door shuts, there they are, your people. Mm. I'm an extreme extrovert, so I started to wear costumes and engage the world. I also have always been really strongly connected to nature. Mm-hmm. My nature library is probably 4,000 books, and that's not the global warming nature Goodness. library. Yeah. I, I'm sure I have 600 books on bugs. I love bugs. <laughs> and I, so I read a lot of books. I've read a huge amount of the world's great literature, not mm. just English or American literature, but Everybody, I mean, I went to the list of Nobel Prize winners of literature and got their books and read them. Mm. And I didn't have to study much, and I wondered, okay, Patch, what are you going to do with your life? Mm. Huh. I want a love job for men. Because I could see that very few men knew anything about loving. Hmm. That... Uh, I thought, what's your uh, job for men? <laughs> Maybe a doctor. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any doctors, so I didn't know doctors were not loving. Right. Okay. Yeah. But I thought, of course, because I could see when I was in the hospital, at least the nurses were loving. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I entered medical school in 1967, which was my last haircut. <laughs> And I realized within a month there was nothing right about health care delivery in the U.S., mm. that the hospitals were hierarchical. Most of the doctors, 95% of my professors were rude, arrogant nightmares. Mm. They would walk into a nursing station, and this happens now all over the world, be rude to a ward clerk, and everybody is silent. Mm. Well, it's hierarchical, and it's patriarchal. Oh, hierarchy yeah. of patriarchal, and... So I got in trouble by going, nice rudeness, doctor. You humiliated that nurse beautifully. I hope I'm a strong doctor like you when I grow up. Oh but my, my grades were too high, and I couldn't, they couldn't get patients to complain, so they didn't throw me out of school. Right, yeah. But I, I, they, they wouldn't do it around me. Yeah. They also knew that they wouldn't do it around me. So speaking up and... And you could just see hospitals were, there was no happiness in hospitals, uh, very little. Yes. They were boring places. They were hierarchical, patriarchal, and, and, and their vision. And, you know, people are complicated. I, I've read all of Dickens twice. And, you know, I love those 19th century novels, the depth of humanity in them. And so... I, I, I was trained to be a doctor in 7.8 minutes, that that was how long you spent with a patient. And, mm. you know, not even Trump is that boring. 
And so I decided to be a family doctor and that my initial interview would be four to five hours long. Mm, wow. So I spent my four years in medical school. By that time, I was wearing costumes and playing and reciting poems and and being a loving doctor. Yeah. You know, I massaged every patient. Yeah. And I knew that I needed to build a model hospital that was beautiful. Yeah. So I graduated in 71. With I wrote up a paper in March of that year and describing a hospital going to the poorest state in the U.S., West Virginia, where all the permanent staff lived together as a communal eco-village. Hmm. It was the 60s, and I knew communal and tribal. I mean, I like the word tribal more than communal because hmm. it describes something that's really... 50 million years old and and so no one gave us a hospital so for our first 12 years 71 to 83 20 adults three of us physicians moved into a six-bedroom house with our children and said we were a hospital hmm. we had 500 to a thousand people in our home each month with five to 50 overnight guests a night in a six-bedroom house with 20 adults and their children already living there. Hmm. So let's just say there was interaction. Yes. We were a farm. We became farmers. I was a goat herder for eight years, and we learned farming. There was a stage. We, we, we were always had a theater in production. Mm. It was a playground. Yes. Yeah. And and its philosophy were those six qualities. Mm. The, to be a staff person, you would be radiant. Right. And in those years, we never gave a psychiatric diagnosis or a psychiatric medicine, even though we had, and this is bad language, but it's not uncommon for a, quote, psychotic person, I don't use those labels, to often be picked up in the U.S. society. The police is always picking up people somewhere at a shopping mall or on the street yelling, fuck you, mm. just yelling it and yelling it. And that happened at least 15 times in our hospital mm. where they're in the living room and there were no hard drugs and no physical violence, but verbally you could be creative. So there they would be, and sometimes we'd just let them be there for hours and they would be the, you'd go in there for therapy, fuck you therapy. But also... I knew a lot about humor by then, and so I would grab three medical students and three complaining whiner patients who think no one's suffering like they are, and I'd say, look, I need your help, and I'd get right around, surround the person, put our arms under our armpits, and go, ah, give, ah, give, and, and nine of them laughed instantly, and as soon as you laugh, you lose it. You mm. can't be that angry yelling person and then so the other six I allowed anybody say, okay now you think up something to do because all we have to do is get them to laugh yes Monty Python had just come to America yes and they yeah. were very influential to me you're listening to it's a question of balance with me Ruth Copland the topic theme this week is what is at the root of well-being and my special guest is Patch Adams we're going to a break now, but I'll be back with more conversation after these messages.
Buongiorno, we are Luca and Giovanni from Bellagio. We bring to Pleasure Point Santa Cruz the first authentic Italian gelato and the traditional panini. Using family recipes from the old world, we offer the real taste of Italy. We use organic and locally sourced ingredients to create a healthy and delicious treat that will put a smile on your face. Gourmet panini, the real Italian gelato, fresh juices and more, just a block from the ocean. Come and visit us. You will feel like you are in Italia. Visit Bellagio at 743 41st Avenue in Santa Cruz. That's 743 41st Avenue. And follow Bellagio Santa Cruz on Instagram. Like the music from It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland? Have you ever wondered what the full songs sound like? Now you can find out by listening to the new EP, It's a Question of Balance Music, available from iTunes, Amazon, and It's a Question of Balance.com. It's a question of balance music. Download individual tracks or the whole EP from iTunes, Amazon, or it's a question of balance.com. Welcome back. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland. The topic theme this week is what is at the root of well-being? And my special guest is Patch Adams. I spoke to him at Cinequest Film Festival, where the documentary Clown Vets, featuring the work of Patch Adams and veterans with PTSD as humanitarian clowns, had its world premiere. Let's hear some more of our conversation. The Hippocratic Oath was rewritten in 1964 by Louis Lazani, academic dean of the School of Medicine at Tufts University, and is used by many US medical schools. And one of the statements therein is, I will remember that there is art to medicine as well as science, and that warmth, sympathy, and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. And I was quite surprised to read that, um, as there's such an emphasis, uh, especially in the US, on, on intervention with drugs and procedures on medicine. And, and in England. And in England, yes. And what's Should fascinating less, is less that so, but no one listened to that out. No, and that's why. What, what I wanted to ask you is how, how did we get to this place where the art of medicine is so in abeyance? And I know you've said even in the 60s you didn't see a lot of care, but I interviewed Victoria Sweet on my show. I don't know if you know her. She wrote um, God's Hotel and Slow Medicine. She's a real advocate of, um, uh, you know, going back to a much uh, more patient-centered approach to medicine. Um, how do you think we got so far away from 
really seeing people as human beings when they're in, in a medical environment? Well, I'd say that's patriarchy is the mm. number one reason. Hmm. Um, all the problems of history were due to men. <laughs> okay, that's true. Yeah. You can bring up Margaret Thatcher and Condoleezza Rice, but f forget it. Men and men love hierarchy, mm. that they love being the boss and right. And also, since medicine is a vulgar, greedy business, the number one vulgar, greedy business of this country, mm. that time is money, and so love, care, play, service, all those sweet things that one would like to think a doctor did all take time, and there's nothing in the literature. Right. You know, yeah. here's an interesting thing. Loving the verb is the most important thing in life. Mm. Not one public school, K through 12, in the world have I found that teaches one hour in 13 years of the most mm. important thing in life. Yes. And I try yeah. to tell audiences, what if... Loving as an intelligence was taught K through 12, one hour a day, five days a week until sixth grade. And then all the other classes are moved to four days a week. And from seven to 12, one day a week, the person goes out in the community loving. Mm. That's an amazing idea. I mean, I think we had this Cartesian break with the, the body as a machine and the spirit or whatever you want to call the other parts of us just really cut in half and I think the education system and the medical system treats us in that way it's very divided isn't it well what's interesting is there's tons on mental ill health mm. but almost nothing on mental health that's okay? why I love the, um, Maslow no no <laughs> education yeah. on wonder Yes. Curiosity. Yeah. When I when I tell say, Pat, you can't be happy all the time. I said, Look, at eighteen, I dove into the ocean of gratitude and never found the shore. <laughs> that yeah. there's no education in any public school really mm. about wonder, curiosity, passion, hope, yeah. creativity, the yeah. gratitude, and so. I think you hit uh, on something there with what and you grades. Said. Grades are wrong. Yes. The idea to grade a child is humiliating to the teacher, humiliating to the child. I have 900 books on education. I, mm. I, I, I read in the early 60s, Summerhill, mm. you know, and he, A.S. Neal, was influenced by Leo Tolstoy, who wrote a 400-page book on education. That's mm. yeah. very... And so... It's the man's world. We, mm. If I had a magic wand, women would be in charge of everything for the next thousand years. <laughs> be interesting to see what that would look like at the very least. But well, I just I mean, I am a product of my mother, and my mother was a 19th century person who, you know, wished I tucked in my shirt, would never like me to say a dirty word or huge numbers of things, and she made me the person I've described. Mm. She. Uh, she yeah. is the gift. And my, my father gave me my why. Why should I do it? Right, yeah. And, and so... I think you really hit on something with what you said about self-esteem. And I, 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 that's an interesting statistic that you gave of 3% of the people have self-esteem. And I think that is really at the 
bottom of a lot of problems and, and wrong Absolute. approaches that yeah, we have. If we can address that, yeah. Well, and let me tell you about uh, mental health, okay? I think at the heart of mental illness are loneliness, boredom, and fear. I think what happened is for 50 million years, we primates have been tribal. Mm. We've been in tribes where we've been yeah. very close to each other, and very few people have tribe. I mean, the closest yeah. people get is little hints with churches or yeah. rotary club or that sort of thing, bowling clubs. Yeah. But we, we clumped. We clumped around for, and it's getting for worse. 50 million years. With the, yeah, with the and, digital world. And, and loneliness is, is that a boredom. I know I've never been bored. I don't. I cannot imagine mm. 500 billion brain cells. You know that that the, the idea of being bored. But what I think that means is there's a disconnect from nature. Mm, Most yeah. people do not know how to sit in a tree and stop suffering. Yeah. Or to take off their clothes and roll in moss or any. Nature's everywhere. There's some right here. Uh, and, and then the, uh, we disconnect from the arts. So almost no U.S. citizen can name a living American poet. Right. And, and we, for them, arts are television. How can anybody watch TV? They, so the most popular thing in the U.S. are sports, multimillionaires playing with their balls. Somehow that's been made interesting in, in a world where we could, yeah. we could be thinking. And I, I think, think there's a lot of positive things about sport. But, of course, like so many things, it's become very driven by money, you know, well, which is a shame. I mean, it, it does Well, there are lots of interesting things about health care, but there's not one healthy hospital in the world. No. And so... The boredom, loneliness, and fear disconnect from tribe, from nature, and from the arts is where we are. And so what percentage, in my, in my interviewing people for 51 years, 15% of marriages might be happy. Right. And yeah. that's if they're lucky. Okay. Yeah. I have... I, I have such a good relationship. I think someone mm. looked at all three and a half billion women and gave me the person for me. <laughs> I think she's the smartest person I know mm. and have ever met. Hmm. And we get no education in it. As a matter yeah. of fact, you know, I tell men, you want to make love to a woman? Study female porn. Because you'll see that they're kissing and touching. They're not even diddling any of the privates uh, until an hour into the experiment. And yeah. Well, and it's very mental for women, too. It's not, it's three, it's not three minutes. Wham, bam, thank you, man. But that was every male recommendation I got growing up hmm. was that. But yeah. then I, I saw that they didn't know how to be with somebody. So men have men friends, and they have a housewife. And I visited the home of my patients, and I opened every drawer, looked under every bed, and 
often invited myself to dinner to watch the family dynamic. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you... It's essential to really understand the story of a, of a person and how can you help somebody without understanding their story. But in the model we have of healthcare now, especially with all the big data, there really just isn't any time. Every, all the time, Stanford did a study which showed that in an eight-hour day, doctors actually spend 10 hours on the computer. So more hours in the day than they actually well, work. Well, they're now seeing patients like this. Exactly, yes, yeah. And, and it's, it's not efficient. It, it, it's actually more efficient to take more time to be with the patient and get the right Most people hate their job, yeah. don't like their marriage, don't like themselves, and yeah. they're, tell me something you're in love with, and you rarely get more than a minute. Right. You know, their, yeah. their face doesn't light up, and, and there are millions of things to love. You could talk about your cat. You could talk about anything to do with life and, and nuance, and it just isn't, it isn't there in people's vocabulary. It isn't there in their life. It's, uh, here's something. Yeah. I went, I, I am in the health care profession. In four years medical school, not one lecture on health, not one lecture on care. Okay? <laughs> and so... I mean, I'm uh, laughing, but it's terribly sad. I, I, yeah. No lectures on diet. Yeah exercise, love, faith, you know, wonder, curiosity, passion, hope, none, no education on health. Not, so I didn't get, I might say, you should exercise. Okay, yes. next subject. Yeah. Where, I, and I was one of those people, I wasn't fit, but I've done 45 years of yoga, weightlifting, and aerobics, which is why I feel 35. Mm, yeah. And and you add to that not having any problems. And no stress is a huge uh, thing, isn't it? Know. Yeah, yeah. And why does I say publicly, if you have food and a friend, what are you bitching about? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean it. Yeah. If people can drop down to that level, which I think is where we're also at, is that jump no, up or that jump level. up to a level of of self awareness and. Um, I'm, I in, recently interviewed Emilio Estevez, and he said he had a very influential teacher, a creative writing teacher, every day said to them, where, you, where is your consciousness today? And to start with, they all laughed, but by the end of the first month, every lesson, they were checking in with their consciousness to see where they were that day. And I think that that's, it's so rare for us to have that sensibility. And, and that's what connects us with each other and with the nature and everything and helps us to find the things you're talking about, I think. I think you would find a rare person who would have any idea what their consciousness was about. Yes. That it yeah. would be, if yeah. you asked a patient, tell me about your consciousness. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? That's what they would ask. Yes. Do you mean like, uh, you know, like, what do I think about or... Yeah. They don't really... Yeah. They don't know they could go into their imagination. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, obviously, the clowning that you do, um, 
that you take around the world uh, as well and, and work with people in all these different situations, you know, in war zones and traumatized. I've clowned at 10,000 deathbeds. I've yeah. held 2,000 children the week they died of starvation in my arms. Mm. I've taken clowns into five wars and refugee camps and disasters. One thing I wanted to ask you is that, you know, you've spoken about the power of laughter. And um, I have a um, Master of Science degree in counselling and I designed and carried out uh, a clinical research study looking at how participation in the arts affects health and well-being and creativity and performance. Um, and many people think that art can help people process trauma or difficult events and issues that they've experienced or, or witnessed. And I am looking also at clowning as an art as well as a means to generate laughter. And I'm, I'm wondering whether you think that experiencing or participating in clowning from a creative art perspective, it is also having a powerful effect that allows people to feel things and feel empathy and, and perhaps more self-understanding, as well as the benefits of the laughter aspect. Well, the biggest thing I say is clowning is a trick to get love close. Hmm. In my full clown costume, I can go up to 99 point something percent of the people of the world and hug them. Hmm. I won't in Muslim countries hug the women. Right, yeah. But that's a taboo. Yeah. But humor is the doorway to life, maybe. Because right. huge numbers of men think love means sex. Or it's something mothers do. Mm. But, but with humor, it's so seductive mm. that you... So I knew before we took the vets on the vet trip, because mm. I've done 190 trips. I've taken 6,000 people from 50 countries and ages 3 to 88. And it sucks everybody into the vortex because yes. anyone can do it. Yeah. And in one week, with 6,000 vets killing themselves a year. Mm. Yeah. When I kept, for 10 years, I tried to get funding. No one gave it to me. Was, uh, what do you mean? These guys are suffering PTSD. They're, blah, blah. Took 10 of them. I asked vet organizations for their most suffering three years ago, 10 to Guatemala. One week of clowning, it stopped. Hmm. And, and what do you put that down to? Well, they reconnect with their loving self. Mm. And they see value in themselves where my vet, and he's be on stage with me tonight. I reminded him of this uh, yesterday. I said, you know, Mike, when we started to go around in Guatemala at the dinner table when we arrived, you said, hello, my name is Mike O'Connell. Mm. And I have murdered and I have murdered. And I have murdered so many people. Mm. Okay. Yes, that's true. That's yesterday. And, mm. and now he's a fruitcake. Yeah. That's one of my biggest things, I think, of, um, about war is, you know, we, we have a lot of focus, rightly, on the, the victims. But people who are making decisions to go into war are rarely considering what it does to the 
to the people who have to kill, what it kills in you to be in that position, how, how soul-destroying that is, and how we're just destroying not only the people that we're fighting against, but we're ourselves. And it's in, it's in the Bible. It's in the Iliad and the Odyssey. It's yeah. in the Vedas yeah. that man and power over is, uh, is big. It's, it's yeah. so, so big. And yet we're controlled, it seems to me, by a small percentage of people who want to wield that power and control and violence. Which is why the capitalist system is so ideally suited, because the fewer number of people at the top, the better. Right. And yeah. they get to be multi-multi-billionaires. Yes. And yeah. that the society from earliest, from before a child can read, they know money is important. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I do think it, it is shocking. I mean, although most of, of, of Europe is a, is a free market economy, um, you might want to call it like caring capitalism or whatever. And when you come to America... I think people who live within America don't have the same sense of, of really how extreme the capitalism is here and how accepted that is. I mean, now we are seeing some challenge to that. but um, Worst disease of history. Absolutely yeah. clear to me. The cause of our extinction. We will be extinct. There's mm -hmm. nothing happening today that really gives us a sense. In, in October, the UN said we have 12 years. Because of global warming? Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. And and the thing is, yeah. we're, we're novices about global warming. Yeah, I think there's more people who care. It's just we have to activate that and do something. You can't just care and so, think I can do nothing. So, see, in my mind, that person isn't caring. If you're not doing, you're not caring. Mm. You know, it's not a philosophical thing. I, yeah. I really care about the environment. I think a lot of people feel disempowered, though, which is linked to what we were talking about earlier with the self-esteem issues. And, so. and, and where did they get the... If 3% have self-esteem, how is anyone going to think that they can do it? I can yeah. do it. Well, I think by focusing on the good and what works. I mean, um, there's a model, a paradigm called appreciative inquiry, which is, you know, look at what is working and do more of that. And I think if you apply that to every area within yourself and life... Things just get better and better because of what you're saying when you said about gratitude. That's the, the fundamental basis of gratitude is that you look around you and you see, okay, I could look at all the crappy things around me right now or I could see, look at that beautiful bat butterfly that just landed right in front of me in this horrible place or whatever. See, that's where I call the overarching thing for all of it is thinking. Right, yeah. That's why that I say objectivity. I think only... Yeah. 10% of U.S. citizens ever think. They don't think one day a year. Mm. that it Because you would never say, I can't, if you're a thinker. No. Think, thinking isn't answering the test correctly. It's no. using the yeah. varieties of your mind yeah. to engage something. Yeah. That's why if you had a chance to spend an evening with Susan and myself, you would see it's an evening of thinking. Yes, yeah. And that well, to me, the greatest joy in life is 
conversation, a wonderful conversation, because it brings you alive. I mean, to share with someone and, and share your, your thoughts, thinking and experiencing and emoting, laughing, that kind of interaction, I mean, is, is what it means to be human, I think. And somehow that's got lost. And like I was saying earlier, I think with the digital world advances, no, we're, we're getting further and further it's made from young that. people stupid beyond yeah. belief. I am, I'm actually impressed with the quality of their stupidity. <laughs> well, let's, we've talked about a lot of um, challenges. So uh, let's focus on all the good work that you're doing to try and address some of these things. And, and we- Be radiant, we, England. <laughs> if you hear me say anything, what yeah. can I do? The answer to the question, what can I do? Be radiant. Be radiant Those six yeah. qualities that yeah. I decided to be as an instrument. Yes. Okay. Uh, by instrument, I mean action. Yes. Yeah. Be, be happy, be loving, be funny, be cooperative, creative, and thoughtful, and you will have the best use of yourself for any day. Yes. Yeah. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest this week, Patch Adams. The topic theme is, what is at the root of well-being? Join me for more conversation with Patch Adams after these messages. Hi, I'm Casey, and I'm the second-generation owner of Bookshop Santa Cruz. We pride ourselves on being Santa Cruz's community bookstore. We feature an extensive selection of new and used books, children's books and toys, gifts, cards, magazines, and games. Our knowledgeable booksellers can help you find just the right book or gift. We hope you can join us for our author events each week, featuring best-selling authors and books of local interest. And if you can't get downtown, our website has over 3.2 million titles, which ship directly to your home. We even have experts on site to help you publish your own book or family history. Come visit us downtown or at our website, bookshopsantacruz.com. Bookshop Santa Cruz has been an independent bookseller for over half a century in the community we love. Visit Bookshop Santa Cruz downtown. We love our customers and the books that make it all possible. Bookshop Santa Cruz, online and in downtown Santa Cruz. Can you imagine living without stress, anxiety, or fear? And can you imagine a life filled with harmony and inner peace? Is that even possible? The Ananda Yoga and Meditation Center in Scotts Valley offers simple tools to help you become more effective at work and more centered in the face of life's challenges. At Ananda, we offer yoga classes for everybody, inspiring workshops, devotional chanting, and Sunday services based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Our teachers and therapists are highly trained professionals who work together to inspire a healthier you. And your first Ananda yoga class is always free. Visit us at anandascottsvalley.org or call 338-YOGA. That's anandascottsvalley.org or 338-YOGA.
welcome back. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland. The topic theme this week is what is at the root of well-being? And my special guest is Patch Adams. I spoke to him at Cinequest Film Festival where the documentary Clown Vets featuring the work of Patch Adams and veterans with PTSD as humanitarian clowns had its world premiere. Let's hear the last part of our conversation. So we were talking about uh, mentioning your, um, the film that uh, is being awarded Cinequest's coveted Kaiser Permanente Thrive Award for most life-affirming film features um, one of your uh, clowning trips. It's directed by Esteban Rojas. Um, how did this film come to be made? Well, if you're an activist, and people laugh at the idea that you're taking vets yeah. that are suicidal on clown trips. Patch, how can you do that? You know, they could kill themselves on the trip, and then what are you, you're a murderer? Okay, I heard that a lot of times. Mm. One week, the thing is, I had taken thousands of people on trips, and so many people are suffering. I saw, this, I saw them change people that were not vets that were suffering. Yeah. And so, and I know the power of how great it feels. This is why I think woman has an edge on men is that they know so much more about care than men do. Mm. And maybe give more attention, I don't want to generalize too much, but to feeling. Duh. They raise <laughs> our children. Yeah. Okay. And whatever love is in a relationship, they're involved with most of it. Yeah. And so I, I knew, I tried 10 years to get funding, finally got funding, and... For the film? The film, knowing that we did it, first my, my son went to film school in Chile, right. which is where he met Esteban. Ah. And... Esteban was attracted to the deal, and, and filming is, how do you show? How do you show yeah. something in the modern world? You, you can see these vets change. And do they get to um, clown themselves, or is it mainly uh, no, watching they come clowns? No, clown, they come oh, in okay. full clown gear, yeah. and we take them hospitals, orphanages, nursing homes, prison, the street. So, okay, so you're taking vets, they're clowning, and then they're going to places with people who need clowning. Yes. Oh, okay, right. Huh. So yeah. And through that process of also, I imagine, helping others and seeing others' pain, yes. you're getting out of you yourself. You see your yeah. love. No, you're getting into yourself. Into yourself, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, you are, okay, because in the early part of the film where they go to where the vets are living before they go on the vet trip, they say, you know, I never really thought of myself as a funny guy yeah. who's here now looking like a fruitcake. Yeah. And, and you heard how Mike introduced himself. And by the end of the trip, I took him into a place that I knew, because I've clowned in Guatemala many times, Yes. The, an institution, a chronic institution for disturbed children. And this now older teen... It was locked in a tiny room for 10 years and hadn't been out of the door because she is a biter. 
Wow. And we took her out for the first time, Mike and I. Yeah. And it's so. I mean, it's such a scourge. It's big, it's it's like the biggest problem that we have uh, really now is mental illness. And you know what you're talking about is a, it's. Um, I mean, I think it is a, a malaise of this disconnect from being truly human. Boredom, loneliness, and fear. Yeah. A disconnect from tribe, a disconnect from nature, and a disconnect from the arts, which are the, the expressions of love. Yes. Yeah. Let me not to the true marriage admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, nor bends with a remover to remove. Oh, no. It is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempest and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, though. You know, Shakespeare. Yes, yeah. I don't have to finish this sonnet. Yeah. And the songs of of love that have been... Mm. Love is a many-splendored thing. It's the April rose that only grows... So I'm a disgusting yeah. doctor who sings a lot of peppy and love songs. We're just so busy, busy, busy that we, we don't have the time to read poetry, let alone write it, you know, or experience it or the world around us. Well, we only have 24 hours a day. Everybody only gets 24 <laughs> hours a day, okay? And uh, you can be in charge of every second of your life. So... yeah. Punch, I just don't know how I can exercise. I'm a really, you know, my partner and I, we work every day. And we f- we make time for everything that's important. Yes, yeah. I do want to be sure to um, cover uh, how, if people are inspired by our conversation and what you're doing, how can they get in- involved with, uh, I know you have the Gesundheit Institute, and you're hoping for this hospital, and then the clown vets. Well, anyone that writes me suffering, hurting, I, and or looking to explore, I recommend a clown trip. Right, so you can go on. People can actually go with you. Yes, on a clown anyone trip. can. Yeah. Okay. Adams.org, Sign up for the e-newsletter, and it tells you. Also, three of our regular six clown trips are through Susan's school. Susan is my beloved. Right. And she, 40 years ago, got involved with a group that started the School for Designing a Society. Right. So this year, we have, they are putting on at our building site in West Virginia, three weeks on desire and design. Hmm. Interesting. What do you want and what's the design for what you want? And you're placed in the company of really smart people. Huh, interesting. So you have design groups. a brain trust. <laughs> and, and the second, it's colon, construct your humanism. Hmm. And that's a three-week course. Now, three of the clown trips, which are Mexico, Ecuador, and Costa Rica, it's clowning in the morning. So do people come and be clowns? Yes. Yes. Okay. They're clowning in yep. the morning. All of our clown trips are clowns. Be clowns, yeah. And in the afternoon and evening, the school is teaching them. Oh. So, so do you need experience of being a clown? 
No, absolutely no. not. Okay. No, you can be the most boring person so in the world. So you just need a nose or something? No, and you, <laughs> the more wild you look, the better. Okay. So <laughs> I started to wear clown clothes only 35 years ago. I've got 30 toys in my pocket right this minute. <laughs> Because I ask myself the question, yeah. in a country of so much public violence, how can I stop violence? Mm. I'm not going to learn karate. I'm not going to treat violence with violence. Right, yeah. Which is a technique. Yes. I'm going to use clowning. Well, thank you so much, Patch, for talking to me. It's been very inspiring, and I'm very happy to share all of Should your... Should I give a little poem at the end? You can. Go ahead. Okay. Um... I know a lot of poems. Probably one of America's greatest poems is Emily Dickinson. Mm -hmm. And she was a really weird woman. So that when you came to visit her last 35 years, you had to sit down at the base of the stairwell and talk up the stairwell where she was sitting. Yes. This is her poem on hope. Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. That sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash that little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it on the chillest land and on the strangest sea, but never in extremity it asked a thing of me. Good juice, eh? Yes. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland. Thanks so much again to Patch Adams for that inspiring conversation. To get more information on how you can support or participate in clown trips, you can go to patchadams.org.org forward slash clown vets. So that's patchadams.org forward slash clown vets lots of interesting information there about patch and the clown vets and also um, the gesundheit institute also if you go to the show's website it's a question of balance.com i'm going to put up some pictures of me and patch with him in his clown gear with his uh, little toys and everything that he had so there's some uh, cute pictures there if you want to go along and have a look it's question of balance.com and click on guests Thank you for joining me and I look forward to being with you again next time.